Welcome to episode 86 of the Grump Runners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you tonight um, following Alabama's second and final scrimmage of fall camp. Um, a lot of things are finalized by now that we'll talk about. We'll talk about just about every position. Um, we had a very, very close source that was at the scrimmage and gave us some very good information. Um, y'all bear with me tonight. I'm battling allergies. Uh, Lester, I feel for you, dude. Lester's had allergies for as long as I've known him. I didn't, nice a, too, dude, I, didn't, I didn't have a single allergy until I hit 30. And now that, you know, I've, since I've turned 30, I swear, two or three times a year, I've got where I'm so stuffed up, I can't even breathe. So if I sound a little funny tonight, if you hear me coughing, that's what it is. But um, we we decided to do this podcast a little bit earlier because, number one, J-Law has Silicaga football starting this week. They play a, a Thursday night game. J-Law does a coach's show, so he's busy this week. But also, we got some information that's fresh on our minds, and it's a lot of information that people need to know and that people want to know that listen to Gumbrenner's podcast. And um, and so <clears throat> let's jump right into this thing. And you know, the main thing everybody wants to know about is the quarterback situation. Um, you've heard a lot of people come out with different articles saying Ty Butner was the best, uh, Ty Simpson was the best in one article. And then some that said Jalen Miro's the best. Um, Lester, if I was to tell you, from based on what we have, it seems like Ty Buckner probably had the best scrimmage. But Milro did make some throws. He he they don't like the quarterbacks running a lot in the scrimmage. They want to make you sit in the pocket and throw the ball. They know what Milro can do with his legs. They know what Ty Simpson and Tyler Butner can do with their legs. And, you know, all three of them are really good runners. And, uh, you know, you heard some things about Dylan Longeran getting some reps with the one this past week. He did not run any drives with the first-team offense, I believe. Um, so that's kind of squashed. Uh, so as far as the quarterback competition, Lester, just based off of, – and we've all heard the same thing. You know, we, we all we all heard the same – the same notes we've read a whole bunch of stuff. Lester, give me your just general opinion about the quarterback situation and what needs to happen for Alabama moving forward into this this last week of practice before game week. Everyone has to improve. Everyone. Everyone. Uh, you know, as far as, like, backups go, you never want your backups to be a massive drop-off from your starters, just so you can keep remotely the same level of competition play. Well, geez, if if Miro's going to be the guy, he's the guy for a reason. And, you know, hopefully he continues to get better. He continues to take a step forward. Hopefully um, Ty Simpson continues to get better. Hopefully, you know, Buckner and Lonergan. Either way, they, they got to get better because based on what we heard um, coming out of Saturday, I don't think now, the writers have to be sunshine pumpers, but I don't think any of the fans are remotely confident or come out more optimistic regarding the quarterback situation, um, which is scary because we kind of know the skill set of each guys and and it's just not conducive to national championship level play that this team is expecting. So... I, I think it's going to be a shuffleboard all year with quarterbacks. I hate to say that, but so much of my confidence and so much of how I feel about this team relies on who's taking the snaps. 
and our offensive coordinator, and we don't know much about either right now. Yeah, and and I'm gonna do my best to stay optimistic optimistic during this podcast. There is some stuff that I'm pretty upset about that came out about the scrimmage. Um, but J Law, kind of the same deal. What what's your general opinion after this second scrimmage? And everything you've read, everything you've heard from the scrimmage, what is what is your general opinion on the quarterback situation moving forward? All right, so we we go through all last week. People are insiders, not people. I don't want to say people. Insiders are telling you, dude, Ty Simpson's had a hell of a week. Ty Simpson, he was uh, he was good in the scrimmage. He had a great week of practice before the last scrimmage. He was good this week, and then we get into the scrimmage and. Like, he doesn't get barely any reps with the ones, which is fine. Like, look, if he's not up there with Milrow, if he's not up there with Buckner, I get it. But why are the insiders telling us, why is Greg McElroy on the radio telling us that Ty Simpson's had a hell of a week, couple weeks of practice, he looks poised to potentially take over this job and maybe even get the first snaps versus Middle Tennessee State and and I'm one of those guys with y'all that said I think that middle I think that against Middle Tennessee State Milrow is going to get the first snap no matter what. So like not he doesn't get Jalen Hurts 2017 status because he wasn't the SEC Freshman of the Year and all that whatever. But I think he maybe did earn the right to get the first series and see how things go because he is the veteran whatever. But how many times and I I'm not in the wreck so I don't know. But how many times does a quarterback competition happen? where you have a guy who's vying for first-team quarterback, not only doesn't get to play with any of the first-team receivers at a scrimmage, but gets to play with the second-team offensive line, the second-team receivers against the first-team defense almost the whole time, and then people will try to discredit what he did at the scrimmage. Hey, Listen, Alabama's first-team receivers can barely catch. Do you think the guys on the second team can catch? No. Darian Dalcourt hasn't blocked anybody in three years. He's on the first-team O-line. Do we really think Terrence Ferguson and Elijah Pritchett, who just got kicked off the first-team left tackle spot for a true freshman, although it's a five-star, do we think they can block? No. So Ty Simpson, to me, like, is he in the doghouse? Is he not a team guy? Like, okay, I get it if that's the case. But you sent a guy out there who a lot of people have told us for two weeks. That's the only reason I'm mad is because people have told us for two weeks. And I like Jalen Milrow. I like Ty Buckner. Play the best guy. But why are the insiders telling us for two weeks that Ty Simpson is working his ass off? He's gotten a lot better. And he goes out there. He gets stuffed with a second-team offense against the first-team defense for almost the whole scrimmage. Number one, how many times does that happen? Is that normal at the scrimmages? From the ones I've heard of from the past, that's not always the case normal. And number two, why is that the case? Like, I don't understand why that's the case for Ty Simpson, especially when you know Jalen Milrow, you know what he's going to give you. He's not going to stand in the – if in a game, he's going to count to three and he's going to take off, which is why he got sacked like nine times yesterday. So, like, I just don't feel like – they they knew they know what Jalen Milrow can give them, and it might be the best we got. They don't know what Ty Butner can give them. He had a good day, according to the to the insiders, and we don't know yet the full potential of Ty Simpson, which is why I would have liked him to get a tremendous amount of reps with the first team as well as Jalen Milrow, 
and those not all be 25 and in. Like legitimate quarterback play. So I'm a little frustrated from what I've heard, what I've read. This is all obviously off message boards, but it's it's the people that are the beat writers, not average Joes, the beat writers telling us what happened. And it's just frustrating to to kind of think that for some reason there's so much conflicting information. I think that's what's most frustrating about it. Yeah, and I, a lot of my issues fall on those same categories that you're talking about. Um, I think the offense – the the starting offense, especially particularly the offensive line, played I think fourteen drives. Jalen Milrow ran eight of those over a half. Ty Simpson got four. Ty Butner got two. Dylan Longer ran, of course, zero. So my my question is, what has Jalen Milrow done to deserve the first team reps? Jalen, you just touched on it. This isn't a Jalen Hurts to a situation in twenty seventeen. Jalen was coming off of Player of the Year. My only beef, my only problem is the fact that Milrow does not take a snap. He did not take a snap that wasn't behind the first string offensive line. Um, the first string offensive line was the same throughout the whole scrimmage. Uh, it did not change, so that is solidified. They're going to go with those five with Dalcourt at right guard, Booker at left guard, Seth at center, Caden Proctor, the true freshman five-star at left tackle, and, of course, J.C. Latham at right tackle. Um, So the idea of a competition to Saban is letting Milrow get all the drives playing with the best offensive talent possible against the second-best defenders that you have at every position, while Ty Simpson, Tyler Butner, and Dylan Longeran have to run the majority of practice and scrimmages with the second-best offensive players at their position versus the best defensive players, what J-Law just talked about. What about that is fair to you people listening out there? Just, I mean, <clears throat> Saban said, you know, I won't make us force, force us to play you. So you're expecting me to do more with less while Milrow can do less with more, and it'd be okay, and that they come out about even. I'm not saying that – Buckner or Simpson or Longran played significantly better than Milrow in the scrimmage because they didn't. Um, yes, I do think their pocket presence is better. They had better arm talent, but it's not like they delivered the ball in the money every time. They didn't make the right read every time. They didn't make the right checks. But the fact that the opportunities that were presented to them with the most offensive talent that the University of Alabama has to offer in 2023 were half or less of what Jalen Milrow got to me is absurd. I don't know. I don't know what goes on every day in everyday practice. I can only comment on what was seen and sent to us on Saturday. But if what happened on Saturday is what happens daily, then I do not believe this has been a fair competition at camp this fall. And right now, this exact point in mid to late August. I don't think there's a lot of separation between Buckner, Milrow, and Simpson. Um, I think Ty and Buckner have more arm talent. Milrow, <clears throat> excuse me, has more athleticism. I think they're all about a C to a C plus right now. So as a coach, this is my biggest point. Wouldn't it make the most sense to play the guy that's going to progress the fastest and the and progress the most with experience? You gave Simpson, Buckner, and Milrow the first three games of the season. Who is going to progress the most in that time frame? The, the quarterback that progresses the most is going to give you the best chance to win once the SEC schedule starts. So, to me, that's who needs to play. And, you know, going back to the Hurts and Tua situation, 
Jalen was coming off of an offensive player of the year. I mean, he was a stud in 2016 under Kiffin. Nobody wanted Tua to start game one. You know, it took seven, eight weeks for, for everybody to, to really see that there was a huge talent gap at the time between Tua and Jalen. This competition this year should have been, in my opinion, a clean slate with everybody getting the equal reps, and it hasn't been that. And to me, that's a damn shame, or at least it wasn't in the scrimmage. And I'm just going to assume that from what was <clears throat> what was seen in the scrimmage is the case every day in practice. Lester, do you think that's the case? Do you think this has been a fair a fair competition for all three or four quarterbacks this fall? Um, I think it's been fair as the fact that everyone has had a opportunity now. As far as like going with the breakdowns of you know the, who's playing with the ones, who's playing with the twos, yada yada yada. You know, I think that no one has forced their hand above Milro. I think Miro was always going to be the guy regardless. He was always going to have first dibs. It's always going to be his. True. First but dibs. My, my question is, do you let him run with the ones every single time? Is that the way of you would? Not. No. I, but see, we, we, don't, we don't know what practice is like, though. You know, right. the scrimmage is the scrimmage. And the scrimmage, I'm assuming, is probably fairly close to practice. But right. I feel like if Miro or I feel like if, if Buckner or Simpson or – you know, Lonergan, I feel like if they did as well or better with the ones in their opportunity, that would have reflected in the scrimmage. That were that would have reflected in, you know, who they played with during the scrimmage, you know? So I I, I kind of lean with what Saban was saying with um force you to play force you to play them. I think he was talking to everybody but Milrow. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're this, if people want this, this, and this, well, force my hand. And I don't but, think they've done it. No, so I think it's that right. It's that but right. if that's the case, why why is Milrow the de facto guy? Because he was the backup last year. What has he done? Chase, yeah, Chase, said, Chase said a clean slate. Hell, it's cleaning the slate. Cleaning the slate helps. Cleaning the slate helps Milrow. Because all Milrow For, has done is be bad. It should have helped Milrow. Um, it's just, well, it's simply the clean slate period because you have a new OC coming in, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's been, I think it's been as fair as it can be, but you know, no, let, let's ask clear. this, let's ask this. Does Saban and Tommy Reese see that? Dang, we know that Milrow's not the best passer on the team, but. This year, we're going to have to have his legs. We're going to have to have the most dynamic quarterback possible. I mean, because of the talent, the arm talent behind him, because maybe they are even. It, is Jalen Milrow's athleticism worth keeping Ty Simpson and Ty Buckner on the bench from potentially progressing to be a better thrower of the football than Milrow? But at the same time, you have Texas week two, week four, you're playing Ole Miss. Like, you don't have a lot of time for Ty Simpson and Ty Buckner to get better. So is Jalen Milrow's athleticism kind of like the notch up to where they know, look, he's not going to be the best thrower. He's not going to wow people with his arm in every scrimmage that people go see. But at the end of the day, we're trying to get wins, and just Jalen Milrow gives us the best chance to win. Again, I'm cool with that. But you can't tell me that Greg McElroy doesn't know what's going on. And these other people don't know what's going on. So 
that's my again that's my only issue is people who know what's going on are telling us what's happening but we're seeing something different now two scrimmages in a row I and think I, it makes, yeah, I, I could yeah, I think it make a great point with his legs. Like, if it all goes to shit, at least Milro could, you know, run eighty yards for a touchdown. You know what I mean? I, you know, our receivers aren't elite, as Chase will say. They're they're very good. You know, if no one's open, you do have that option to run, and it is a dynamic option. It's not like, you know, some average quarterback. I mean, Milro could, him will be a, probably a, you know, SEC caliber running back if he wanted to be. But, you know, I think that will lead into some of the decision-making also. I think that has been a part of it. They know that, you know, that's always in the back of his head that he could take off and go for, you know, 60, 70, 80 if need be. Yeah, and, and, I, and I agree with that. And I do think that, Tommy Reese is going to have plays because from what we heard, it was a very vanilla scrimmage. There, there's not a lot of quarterback design runs. I think in his offense in season, you will – I mean, you, you basically have to, right? You can't just have Milrow back there and not have designed runs called. I think he maybe gets anywhere from 7 to 12 um, design plays where he keeps the football or at least gets him on the edge and uh, has the option to either flick it to a tight end or or take off and run if there's nobody there. Um but my point is, is number one, I don't I don't believe it's been a fair shake, at least and, and I'm I'm assuming, I'm assuming that every practice was ran like the scrimmage. Just the fact that Milro did not take any snaps with the twos, I am assuming that every practice and the scrimmage before this past one were run similarly. And if that's the case, it has not been a fair competition because that's difficult. Milrose with the exact same guys every time he's on the field. Yet Simpson and Buckner, they're running with the threes one drive, they're running with the twos, and then they get a couple of tries with the ones. You're playing with different personnel almost every drive you go out there. That's not easy. Football is a continuity sport. you got to develop team chemistry. And the fact that Ty and Buckner had not been given the same opportunities as Jalen Milrow in that regard that's the only thing I have a huge problem with. And maybe maybe you guys are right. Maybe Reese really likes Milrow because of the fact that he gives that option in, in the run game. But maybe it's me being a little gun shy. Maybe it's it's me seeing this from 2017 all over again because we don't have Lane Kiffin on the headsets. You don't have Steve Sarkeesian on the headsets. Those guys were great at getting the ball to your playmaker. We saw what happened whenever Jalen Hurts had to play in a pro-style system under Brian Dable in 2017, it was a disaster. And he was Jalen was athletic enough to to make enough plays needed. Um, but also that defense that year was insane. And you know, once once you because Alabama, if you win enough game, you're eventually gonna come across that team that knows how to stop the quarterback run. When you get to that game, what happens if Jalen Milrow is a quarterback. What happens when you have a quarterback back there that is incapable of pushing the ball downfield and or even threatening to push the ball downfield? Lester, what happens in that situation? Do you get what do you get what I'm trying to say there? That's my whole point of this is if they all have got the same amount of reps with the ones, twos, and threes, whatever, I just think that as a ceiling and potential. I think Jalen Milrow might be the second or third best option Alabama has. 
Yeah, I mean, and and you're not going to sell out when you need to push the ball downfield. Like that's not gonna... exactly. Yeah, but you know, you you have to trust that he can do it. I mean, you have to. You, you know what? More so, him. You have to trust that the receivers can get open. You got to trust that the offensive line can block because you know what? If those two things happen, if the O line blocks, running backs pick up the blocks, if the receivers get open. Then there's no excuse. And if right. he screws up, then we can fry his ass. I promise you. And I mean, hell, no you know, I, I think if, if Milrow has a guy that's five, six yards open, I think he can hit him. I mean, yeah. if he can't, he's got serious issues. I don't think it's that bad. But right. that goes into my point, guys, is, is the fact that there's not a, an elite receiver on this roster. And everybody's oh. talking about the drops on the message boards. The source we had said that, some of the balls were raked out. There was some good defensive play. So there weren't as many drops, especially with the guys that are going to be starting um, as as people may, are making out to be. Um, still too many, of course. I mean, nobody on the team should be dropping the ball, whether you're a starter or not, or a tight end or a fullback. It doesn't matter. Um, you should, you're should you you're a player, uh, you know, in the SEC West. You know, you're a player for the University of Alabama. You should be able to catch the damn ball. And – um but that that's another thing that goes into it is how I don't I don't think the receivers are elite enough to get the separation. So is Milrow just going to hold the ball, which they said happened a lot Saturday in the scrimmage? I know he can't run or they didn't want him to run, but he held the ball a lot in the pocket, took a lot of sacks. Um he had trouble, especially against zone defense, you know, really breaking that down pre-snap and trying to trying to dissect what they're in pre-snap. He he wasn't able to do it. And he, it, it caused him to hold the ball and take a lot of sacks. So, you know, that's that's another concern for me is I don't think the the receivers are elite enough to get that separation that we need. So is Milrow going to just hold the ball back there? Is he going to be able to throw the ball into some tight spaces whenever we need him to? Matt, before we get on Holman Wiggins and his receivers that should be elite because there's seven of them on the roster that are top 100 players, seven. Yep. Yep. Seven. One of them was a five-star Juco guy. Another one was the number two receiver overall. Kobe Prentice finished a top 85 overall. Law, um, heck, who else? I'm missing somebody. Jermaine Burton, um, Isaiah Bond, all those guys. I was watching an interview with Ryan Day and Joel Klatt, and Ryan Day was like, yeah, you know, offense for the last decade has been obviously better than it's ever been. But he said the last two years – defenses have caught up. You're playing better defenses now than you would have two or three years ago when this wide open spread really got going. And my thing is like, who is the guy that's going to give you the best chance? Because receivers, like good defenses, they're going to put their corners on an island and they're going to force your quarterback to read zones. They're going to they're gonna be able to scheme you to where, yeah, you might run, you might pick up a few extra first downs throughout a game, but we're, you're just not going to beat us running the football with your quarterback. You're not going to score 35 on us or 28 on us with your primary offensive weapon being your quarterback and it's him running the football. That's just not going to work. Yeah, when you're, so, throwing I mean, like, for, when you're throwing for 180 yards or less. Yeah, that's just not going to happen. So, like, if you can't hit a receiver – that has a minimal separation, which I'm going to say like two yards, like six feet. Like if you're missing those guys or you can't fit that slant in like you need to, or you're not making your progressions in the right order 
to be able to find the person that's open when they should be open. Like this offense is going to be really bad. And like I was on Tider Insider yesterday and somebody posted that, you know, why did we, why did we expect the quarterbacks to get better? We hired an offensive coordinator who has never coached a good quarterback and has never ever had an offense that averaged 35 points per game as an offensive coordinator. Why did we think that Jalen Milrow, Ty Buckner, and um, Ty Simpson were going to be much better than they were either last year or in the spring? Because Ty Buckner was awful in the spring for Notre Dame. He transfers here, and according to people on Saturday, he might have had the best day, actually. I think seven out of the ten people that I trust said that he did have the best day. So it isn't like to me now the fact that Ty Simpson has a glass ceiling that he can't he has a ceiling that he can't bust through. Jalen Milrow is not really any better than he was last year. He might be a better leader for the team. He might be slightly better at throwing the football, but he's not like he didn't go from Jalen Mil Jalen Hurts Alabama to Jalen Hurts Oklahoma. He didn't make that jump in the last two hundred days. So it's like why. Like I, this offense to me is going to be very limited unless Jalen Milrow's legs just completely come alive. And yeah, we might win like like that, dude. You can win ten games, but we also saw what happened when Jalen couldn't throw it either in a pro style offense. You go to Auburn, you get beat. You're getting beat what fourteen nothing at halftime of the Natty. Um, man, it just seems like after this after this scrimmage and after this past week of not knowing what to believe that this season could really go either way. Yeah. And it's so funny. This comes a week after we gave our season or SEC predictions. I'd love to, to revisit that because uh, after Saturday and what all we've heard, I'd like to change some of those opinions. I still like my Texas prediction. I'll tell you that. I love, I love dropping that game week too, but um, <clears throat> look, you know, I really hope that, Jalen's leg. I mean, he'll be fine against Arkansas, maybe even Texas. I don't know. I mean, it's still a Big 12 defense. We talked about that last week. Arkansas, Mississippi State, um, I, I don't know. You know, Ole Miss, I think he'll be fine. I still – I don't think Pete can stop a nosebleed. Um, but once you run into Tennessee, Tennessee's going to score points. I don't care who your defense coordinator is. That offense is built to score points. So, you're looking at Tennessee. Can you score 40 on Tennessee? Can you score 38? Because I think if you hold Tennessee to under 30, I think that's huge for your defense. You know, usually you want to, you want teams to be in the spread era. I'd say 17 to 21 is a very, very good defensive performance. When, when Of course, when you're playing an SEC team. Um, but Tennessee, with that high-powered and as fast as they go, that's that offense is predicated on scoring 40, 45, 50 points a game. And so I think T Tennessee easily comes into Bryant-Denny and scores anywhere from 31 to 38 points. So can Milrow win a shootout there? I'm not so sure. Um, LSU, same way. They got a very good defensive line. They got Harold Perkins there at linebacker who would, who's faster than Jalen Milrow, or at least on a football field he is. In in between in, – you know, in, in the box at least he is. And uh, so that could be uh, an issue there offensively for Alabama if Jalen Milrow is quarterback. And then, of course, you know, going on the road to Auburn. Uh, in that environment, you know, how is Jalen Milrow mentally – going to be for that game because when the lights came on last year against Arkansas he struggled outside of two big runs and against Texas A&M he struggled for four for four quarters against a team that went five and seven last year so 
there's a lot more what ifs now for me than there were last week. And, um, but, you know, hopefully Tommy Reese can figure this thing out. That's all we can do now is just hope. And, you know, getting, it's more of a wait and see now than, than there, there, there has been all summer. Um, it's always been a wait and see, but now that we've gotten so much information come out from these, you know, these two scrimmages in the fall, it, uh, it's, it's more of a waiting game now than ever. And, um, but moving over to the defense, nothing but positives from what we've heard in the scrimmage from the defense. I think the defensive line played very well. Um, starting linebackers more than likely going to be Deontay Lawson and uh, Tresman Marshall, the transfer from Georgia, who had a knee surgery. He, he couldn't really get on the field over there, but he's transferred, and I, th- I think he, uh, I think he's going to slot into that that second inside linebacker role and do a really good job. Lester, talk about the defensive front seven. And um, the guys that you see, maybe some newcomers that you heard about, and uh, tell me what you think of this this front seven that's going to be coming coming at offenses from Kevin Steele. Yeah, everything that I've seen and I've heard and I've read so far is that the defense looked really, really impressive, um, especially after especially the front seven after not maybe having the best front seven um, over the past couple of years. So it's good to see that people are you know positive and are looking forward to seeing those guys play. And um, also, another thing that really stood out to me was people were talking about how the depth is really, really good. Um, across the board, actually, I think even Saban mentioned that. But as far as the D-line go, goes, you know, um, Otis said had a great day. You know, Trez Marshall had a great day. Uh, you know, your guy, you know, Dallas Turner. Um, all those guys, they're going to be there. And as long as they're there and they have the depth behind them, we have no reason not to expect you know, great things from a Kevin Steele defense. You know, hopefully it's simplified. Hopefully the guys are going to play faster, smarter. I love the the discipline um, that they have going on right now. I can't be, I can't remember who it was, but um, I think it was a young D lineman jumped off sides in scrimmage, went to the sideline, did ten up downs, came back in and got a sack the next play. So I love that being physical. Um, and being disciplined is a big emphasis for this defense because, you know, as you were saying with offenses um, in college football going forward, you can't afford to give up easy extra yards, jumped off sides, 12 men on the field. Uh-uh, that can't happen with the way offenses are ran now. So uh, I'm really excited. I'm really glad that um, a lot of people are positive about the front seven. J-Law staying on that front seven, particularly in the defensive line, a guy – that you've really been hard on is Freddie Roach. And and maybe there's some development that happens here. Um, another thing that you really hope clicks with Freddie Roach and his defensive linemen, maybe not some of the bigger names that we've heard, you know, Damon Payne, Tim Smith, some guys we talked about in earlier weeks on this podcast in the preseason, but a guy named Tim Keenan, three-star in high school. And also one of those guys that had a knee injury his senior year of high school. And usually – when you hear that, you know, you're like, ah, you know, he's going to be so behind. He doesn't get the senior year of high school development, which a lot of these kids are still growing by then and developing physically. And they get a lot stronger, especially to play in the trenches. And so how far is he going to be behind? I don't um, – I'm not even really sure what year he is. A second or third year guy. And Tim Keenan looks like he's going to be able to to slide in and start for this defensive line for Alabama. Him him and Jaheim, Rodas, Jaheim Otis – really going to rotate in at that nose tackle spot. Jayla, what do you think about Tim Keenan making a big push? Does it not worry you guys that – not not that Tim Keenan is a guy that we've never heard of. 
I, even before he got hurt. So he got hurt. He's a Ramsey guy. Got hurt. I don't think I don't think he dropped in the rankings after he got hurt. But it's just like when you have guys that should be really good players, Tim Smith, Demon Payne, um, you know, other guys on your roster, five star James Smith. I'll give him a year of development, whatever. Especially on the D line, you got to be, you got to get your conditioning up, strength up, especially in the SEC. But guys that you never heard of coming out of nowhere. Not that's a bad thing. Christian Barmore came out of nowhere. Phil Mathis was kind of a like a low, maybe below top one fifty guy coming out of high school. Marcel but Darius, another guy that yeah, like though, I mean, like yeah, it happens. But you know, during Nick Saban's tenure, like John Allen, Ashawn Robinson, Jaron Reed, those guys were studs, and they came in here and they made an impact. So, um, Jaheim Otis, Tim Keenan. I mean, listen, if they're good, they're good. Put them out there and play. Um, you know, Justin Boyby, you know what you're going to get from that guy. He was the best defensive lineman on the team last year but when he got hurt. Um, and maybe maybe you can get some quality depth from Tim Smith and and um, DeMond Payne because you really got to rotate a few more guys. Latham as well uh, on defense. But I'm super excited about the linebackers because I was really high on Jihad Campbell. I think Nick Saban and them are too still because he's probably split, you know, 45% of the first team reps with Trez Marshall. So if Trez Marshall is good enough to jump Jahad Campbell, man, I, I think that really means that that linebacker room is stacked. Super excited. Deontay Lawson, um, man, probably should have been on the field all year last year at at linebacker. Um, you know, a couple uh, down year probably at linebacker last year. Actually, the last couple of years, expanded from Dylan Moses all the way to Henry Toto, just not having the physicality at linebacker that I think that Nick Saban and Alabama really wanted. Well, you got two downhill guys now. Deontay Lawson, a lot like C.J. Mosley going side to side. Trez Marshall's a downhill guy. You meet him in the hole, you're not going to run him over. So, you know, if he can get over to Hyde Campbell, I'm super excited about that. You know what you have at the outside backer spot, the jack spot for, you know, Alabama. You got you know, Will, I mean, you got Dallas and Chris Braswell, Quandarius Robinson. Like, you know what you have there, Keon Keeley potentially later on. But front seven, man, pumped up about it. If Tim Keenan can jump those guys and play well in the defensive line, so be it. But you'd still love to see some of those big-name guys take that next step because you're going to need it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I feel for Tim Keenan, I, I, I'm proud of him just because it's kind of the opposite of what is happening with the quarterbacks is Tim Smith and Damon Payne got a lot of playing time last year, especially Tim Smith. He was in there on a lot of plays and um, for Tim Keenan to come out and he, you know, he, he, he started moving up the, the depth chart in the spring. And then I guess he had a really good summer um, physically. And so now it looks like that he is uh that he slotted himself in as a, at least a top two guy that's going to be rotating in with Jaheim Otis um, in the spring. He was the first one out there. So we'll see there. Uh, John Marie Latham's another guy that can give you an interior pass rush is doing really, really well in that regard. Moving to the secondary Lester um, Kool-Aid, Trey Amos, the UL Lafayette transfer um, and Terry on Arnold kind of all wrote, well, not ro Kool-Aid wasn't rotating, but, Amos and Arnold rotating at the other corner spot. I looked for Arnold to get the start there, but there were some reports that whenever Alabama went to a dime package that Trey Amos went to star as that extra extra DB that came on the field. And um, you had Arnold and, and Kool-Aid on the outside. Malachi kind of moved from star to safety. I'm still, I still don't think they're 100% sure of what they want to do with him yet. And then uh, I think that determines – 
or that that depends on the the other safety spot opposite Caleb Downs is uh looks like Caleb Downs is locked down one of the safety spots, but the other one is going to be between Jalen Key, the UAB transfer, and Devonta Smith. Devonta didn't uh, didn't play in the scrimmage on Saturday; he's a little banged up. So, Lester, the biggest question is 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 the safety spot? You know, Jalen Key played all the reps with the ones there. Do you do you think he can lock that down? Because like J-Law said earlier, we heard a lot of good stuff about Devonta Smith all last week. Um, and a lot of people had slotted him into that starting safety position. So do you think Jalen Key takes that over? Um, had a decent scrimmage. Uh, he didn't have any bad plays, didn't have any good ones. You know, there's only one interception thrown the whole scrimmage. But um, and it was by Earl Little. But uh what do you think about this safety position? Yeah, I I I love it. Um I don't think Staven brings in guys to come in and sit on the bench. So when he went and got the guy, um, Key from UAB, you know, that said a lot. He clearly saw something in that guy, and he thought that he could be an impact for this team. Uh, I love it. Then the freshman, Caleb Downs, you can't say enough, you know, great things about this guy. Um, I'm really glad that he has come in and is – living up to the hype thus far. He may even surpass it this year when, you know, games start. But, you know, hopefully when, when you know, lights come on, games play, you know, it's not too big for him. The guy has ice in his veins that he can be a baller for us this year. So, yeah, I, I have nothing but confidence um, in the safety spot um, since, you know, saving this two for two on guys he's bringing in to fill those positions. J-Law, give us some more opinions about the uh, the secondary for Alabama, what you see. Maybe with Trey Amos and Jalen Key coming in, and and what you think about Devonta Smith, and um, if you think that he can overcome this little minor injury he has and have another good week of practice, and maybe start, or maybe slot himself into the starting safety position. Yeah, you never want a guy who you feel like's gained a little momentum and is playing well and looked like maybe the best option at a spot to get nicked up, especially when he was right above being neck and neck with somebody else. But listen, Saban and, and Kevin Steele, they balled in they brought in these extra bodies and Jalen Key and Trey Amos and looks like they're both gonna get a solid amount of playing time this year. And that's why you bring them in. I mean, when you lose both your starting safeties in a year, Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellums, um, Brian Branch, like you know you probably number one don't have the depth behind those and definitely don't have the experience depth. So when you bring people like that in, like and they can come in and contribute, um, that makes you excited. It means you made a good read, you didn't waste a scholarship. And you have two guys that a lot of people are really, really high on that were, you know, destinations. Like people wanted these guys in the transfer portal. But, you know, Caleb Downs playing like Caleb Downs. No, he got nicked up, but he looks like he's gonna be okay. Malachi Moore being versatile. Jalen Key being able to slide back, play safety. Um, man, thank God for Trey Amos because I know Terion Arnold, probably a lot like Jalen Milrow, is a good practice player. Um, but you're probably gonna need him down the stretch. So, but I'm super, I'm super confident in in the in the safeties for sure. Because I, I think I don't really think you have to say anything about Kool-Aid. If Amos or Arnold can at least halfway figure it out on the other side, you're really just thinking about safety after you lost. Um, battle and and hell them. So if anybody can step up back there, play really well, you know, give us some quality quality playing time that I think you are missing out of maybe potentially Demarco Helms last year, at least in the spots that we put him in. You got to be excited about those guys. And hey, just just don't just don't get beat. 
Like, you know, you give up a big play, that's one thing. Just don't give up the massive play. Don't give up the touchdowns. Don't bust coverage. Know where you're supposed to be and know the call. And I think that's that's the emphasis that Kevin Steele and Nick Saban are putting on that defense this year. Lester, I mentioned earlier the last practice, the last week of practice coming up before game week. Um, once your game week prep starts, just you know, of course, you're probably not in full pads every single day. You know, you're not going as hard. My question is, and I want both of your guys' opinions on this. Do you think we're going to see much change, if any, in any position, whether it's quarterback, offensive line, running backs, the whole defense, et cetera? Do you think there's anything that changes from what was seen in the scrimmage on Saturday between now and week one? Um, I think there's a couple spots in the offensive line um, that are shuffling around. Weren't the two guards kind of – you know, Booker's well, moving there. You know, we, we've Booker's heard that there. all camp. You know, you, you've heard you've heard Terrence Ferguson, you've heard Elijah Pritchett, right. uh, you've heard Tyler Booker at right guard. But in the scrimmages Saturday, every time the ones were out there, it was the same five. It was okay. You know, left to right, you went Proctor, Booker, Seth, Dalcourt, and Latham. Not my favorite five. Not anybody's favorite five, to be honest. Just because, really, because of Darren, uh, Darian Dalcourt. And um, we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago as well whenever we were breaking down the offensive line position. But every time they were out there, they were together. I can dig it. Um, well, I guess <laughs> other than quarterback, um, also running back when I – was it not jam, but uh, who's the guy with the thigh bruise? He may make some noise whenever he comes back. That's uh, and he, he, scrimmaged okay. a, he scrimmaged a little bit, but our reports say that – there was a couple of times where he got to the outside and you could tell he's hobbling. Like you can tell it's still bothering him, but he did fight through and he he played maybe three or four drives. He didn't play a ton. Um Richard Young got banged up. He had a knee bruise. And um and Jace McClellan really didn't play a ton either. I think they know what he can do. They're trying to protect Jace. He's been kind of injured right. throughout right. his career. Fumble too, right? Right. Yeah. What hang on, what'd you say? He fumbled too, right? Roydell fumbled. Of Roydell course. Fumbled. Roydell's fumbled for four years. That's not that shouldn't be a shot to anybody. That dude is going to put it on the turf. And um Justice Haynes also didn't scrimmage. He has a quad contusion, they said. So kind of thin at running back really for this scrimmage. But I mean, yeah. But that's it. You don't see J Law, do you see anything else? Do you think everything's solidified as as from what we've seen in the scrimmage, or do you think maybe some there's still some competition brewing at certain spots? No, I, de- I definitely still think there's competition brewing. I think that there could be something on the offensive line. I, I know they the O line never changed, but you know there's still some potential for and maybe even Booker to go back to right guard could be could be a change. I know they were trying to give some veteran experience to Caden Proctor on his side, although. Dude, we know what we're getting from Dalcourt, just not any good. So it's really d- disappointing that Eric Wolford, who's supposed to be one of the top five offensive line coaches in the country, can't coach anybody up to play guard in his second year here. Or how about this, dude? Go get a transfer guard. If you know you're going to have problems at guard, go get one in the offseason. But, you know, I t- think there's a little competition at receiver. Like, you know who's good, but you continue to hear things about Kendrick Law. Not that it really matters when you talk about receiver because Alabama's going to do it by committee this year. Um, you know, I'd love to say 
somebody drops the ball, they're on the bench. But hell, you might just run all tight ends out there after, you know, for two series. So you know, you never know what's going to happen. I still think there's some competition at that safety spot, especially with Devontae Smith being a little banged up. Running back is Jace's to it's Jace's spot, and then with Jam and Justice Haynes behind him. Although, I. Roydell will be there, but I'm telling you, the first time Roydell puts one on the turf, like his carries are going to go way down. That could be Middle Tennessee State. That could be a big moment against Texas. Um, so his carries are going to drop. He'll get jumped pretty quickly right there because that's just what Roydell has done since he's been here. But no, nah, pretty much like that's what it's going to be when you roll out there against Middle Tennessee State. And here's what a lot of people don't understand, but they should understand when those lights come on. In Bryant Denny, it doesn't matter if it's Middle Tennessee State or Texas A&M or Texas. When those lights come on, things change a little bit. When there's 102,000 people in the stands, things change a little bit. So, I dude, the lights could come on and Ty Simpson could be absolutely garbage. Devontae Smith could shit his pants back there <laughs> in the defensive secondary. I mean, you just don't know. J Trez Marshall could be really bad when those lights come on and freeze up. So, like, you just don't know. So, I think... You really don't know what this team is going to look like until maybe after the Texas game for the rest of the year. I hate to say that. Like, I'm not even sure the Texas game. I think the Texas game will answer questions, but you won't have those answers to start the Texas game. The Texas game is going to answer all the questions that we need to know about this team. One more question for you guys before we do our, our final four projections uh, for this year. Kevin Steele, I understand that he's coaching a hell of a lot more talent than he had in Miami. But last year, Middle Tennessee beat Miami. They hung 45 points on Kevin Steele. Lester, would you be okay with maybe Middle Tennessee State doing some scoring on Alabama just to maybe get some of those questions that we have answered week one rather than week two? I'm not saying we want Middle Tennessee State to beat Alabama, no. But would you mind seeing Middle Tennessee State hanging – 24, 31 points on Alabama? Yes, I'd mind a lot. I, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but hey, if it's going to answer questions for me, especially offensively, I don't I don't know if I – Oh, or do you mean to, to push the offensive side of the ball? Yes. Like, we Alabama wins the game, but would you be okay yeah, with, like, yeah. winning 40, 41 to 30? And even though you gave up points, you had to kind of keep your starting O in the game. Right, right. Respect. I would be okay with it. I'd love, yeah, yeah. I I almost you almost have to view this game as like a glorified scrimmage. Really? It's 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 another it's it's someone you haven't seen before. Cause you know, a lot of things with the scrimmage also, the defense damn near knows what you're gonna run, like. You know, like you've seen these guys since A Day for the past six months. You know everything against yeah. these guys. You know, yeah, and, and it, I, it, I understand it, it that. Another defensive scheme, another set of eyes looking sure. at you. Yeah, yeah. Who's gonna adapt? You know, who's gonna right. who's gonna dissect the coverage pre snap? Who's gonna go through their reads? Who's gonna, you know, turn the ball over? And that's yep. what that's what I would love. I mean, if it was me, if I'm saving, I'm going. Hey, um, Milro can have the first quarter. That's fine. Uh, Simpson gets the second quarter. Butner gets the third. And for yeah. three quarters, we're running our offense like it's a 0-0 game. And we're trying right. to score. We're, we're opening up the playbook and try to give each of them six to eight throws per quarter. And whoever manages the offense the best gets the Texas game. 
I would love to see that. Would that be the yeah. best thing for you, J Law? Yeah, I I, I don't think I know Milro got all the reps with the ones. I fully expect him to be the starter, but I don't think the competition is over at that spot either. Um, you know, I don't want to see Middle Tennessee score some points on our defense, but you know, Kevin still gave up forty five uh, five times last year. And I know Miami was bad. He only gave up twenty four to to Drake May, so I guess that makes you feel a little better. Um, but no, listen, I I don't think. I don't think that's going to be the case, though. I don't think Middle Tennessee is going to score enough points to to do what we just talked about. I know that's what we want to happen, but I don't think they're going to score enough to really put pressure, any pressure on a quarterback. The most pressure the quarterback is going to have is performing in, in front of 100,000 people. That's like that's going to be the pressure cooker. It's not going to be this Middle Tennessee defense. It's not going to be the Middle Tennessee offense scoring on our defense and forcing us to score points. Um, it's going to be a hundred thousand people. So, but you know, I would love to say, Hey, like, it doesn't matter what they do. We're going to run Milrow, Ty and Buckner out there for the first three quarters. And whoever does the best, we're going to evaluate that. And that's, who's going to start against Texas. Dude, and I would not be surprised if Buckner had the best game against middle Tennessee state. If they're asking somebody to stand in the pocket, throw the football, use his legs when necessary. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Buckner. Um, there's a the jury's out on Ty Simpson, and we kind of know what you're gonna get uh, from Milrow. So, um, we'll see, man. I I don't really know what to expect. I know not not much is gonna change in the next what 13 days till kickoff, uh, 12 days till kickoff when this gets released. But um, we'll know a lot after Middle Tennessee, and we'll definitely know everything we need to know after Texas. Final four predictions for the 2023-2024 college football season. I guess you can say it's officially game week for some of the teams out there. Doesn't like Vanderbilt and Hawaii play this week. I think Vanderbilt's hosting a a game where their capacity is going to be about twenty eight thousand. They're they're redoing their end zones and they're not even close to having it finished. I think it's going to be like another year and a half project or something like that. So, um, Hawaii coming across country. I guess they'll fly out about Wednesday or so. And uh, so I guess college football officially kicks off this weekend. So. We'll give our final four predictions. Jalen, let's start with you, man. Who do you have um, ending up in the final four this year? Yeah, tough because um, 10 days ago, I probably had Bama in my final four. I'm not to say, like, I just – there are too many questions for me to say, and I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope I can change this week five and be like, yeah, we're making the playoff. I got Georgia um, probably winning the East and then winning the SEC. Um, let's put an SEC team in there. It could be LSU. So you have one SEC team, not Alabama. Clemson and Cade Klubnick really like those guys. I think people are buying in too much on Florida State right now out of the ACC. Dabo's defense is going to be really good again. Like, it's never been bad. It's, it's, it's slumped a little bit with Venables leaving, but I think it'll be good. So I'll take Clemson out of the ACC. You can pick Michigan or Ohio State. Man, people are loving Michigan. I know they went into the horseshoe last year and won, but I, I like Michigan. I I would I'm gonna lean Ohio State just because I, I just trust like that was an upset. Michigan losing. Michigan beating Ohio State was an upset. I mean, it just is what it is. Ohio State was clearly a better football team than Michigan. I'll take Ohio State and then I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna bypass Texas because I just gotta see it first. I know that's a that's a sexy pick for a lot of people. Um, look, I think the AP poll really liked Texas. I'm going to go out to the West Coast, and I'm going to pick Bo Nix. Oh, dude, hold up. 
No, so uh, do you have Oregon in your top four? No, I don't. I thought he was about to take mine, but he doesn't. Nope. All right. I don't have Jayla, I got Oregon too. Tell, tell me why you like Oregon. Because I, I don't I'm not I'm not buying the USC hype again. You know, Caleb Williams, he's gonna drop a game or two that he shouldn't. And right. Pat 12 is gonna be good this year. You got Washington and Michael Penix, who's a Heisman contender. Uh there's a lot of good offensive play out in the Pat 12 to contend with USC's high powered offense. Yeah, Dan Lanning's second year, he figures a few things out. Obviously, defensive they guy. defensive guy. Yep, with a with a fifth year, a fifth year quarterback. I mean, like that does it was that 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Yeah, Bo Nix in his fifth year. And I, hell, I think he has another one if he wants it, potentially. Um, so you you have all the trust in the world in your quarterback, right? You know you have weapons around Bo Nix. Um, and you got a defensive coach and they recruited really well. When Cristobal was there, they recruited really well. They signed talent and I picked USC last year to go to the playoff. They screwed me over a little bit. A lot of people will still pick Utah to win the Pac-12, but I just like – not that I like Bo Nix, the father, you know, running around not protect, not taking care of his kids, Bo Nix, but I I like that Oregon team for some reason. Hell, and dude, Washington would not surprise me, but I do think this is the year that a Pac-12 team – finds a way to get in because I do think that one of those teams that a lot of people are talking about, whether it's Utah, Washington, Oregon, or USC, is is a one-loss Pac-12 champ and will find their way into the playoff. Yeah, who out of the Pac-12 can can put a, put aside all the, the conference situations with everybody leaving and the, you know, basically the dismemberment of the, of the Pac-12 conference as a whole just about – that's going to happen here in the next couple of years. And I think Dan Lanning is the best guy to do that. Um, and and I love the fact – the reason I have Oregon in my top four is if if anybody's going to stop – put a, a good defensive plan together in the Pac-12, it's going to be either Utah or Oregon. And I think Oregon's offense is better. Um, you know, you had – Cam Rising last year for Utah, I believe he's gone. I'm not sure. But even if he's back, I still like Oregon. Um that's at Utah. Yeah, they're they they their schedule, maybe not the most favorable, but I, you know, playing playing in the Austin Zoo, you know, whoever comes into Oregon, I know it's only about 35, 38,000, but that place has been labeled as one of the loudest in the country whenever it's rocking. So very tough place to play. I think they had the best home field advantage in the Pac 12. I look for them to go 11 and 1 and win the Pac 12. Bo Nix gets in the playoffs. I have to do an, an or out of the SEC. I'm going to do Georgia or Alabama because look, Alabama drops a game to Texas and then they drop a game in conference, but still go to the SEC championship and beat Georgia, who will be number one. They have to play in Knoxville. It's late in the season. Carson Beck will have plenty of reps under his belt. He's going to get by in that game. And Georgia's defense just shuts down Tennessee. They know how to play them. They watch the Alabama film and say, okay, we can't do this. They did the exact opposite of what Pete Golding did in that game. They shut down Tennessee. Um, so I, I think Georgia goes undefeated easily. They have the easiest schedule in the country. And so if Alabama comes into the SEC championship at 10 and 2, probably ranked what, fifth or sixth, and they beat Georgia. I could easily see the committee kicking Georgia out because of their shit schedule and putting Alabama at a number three or four slot. I could easily see that because the schedule is so weak. 
And um, and maybe they learned their lesson with TCU. You know, same thing with TCU last year. And they're like, oh, TCU just got beat 65-7 to seven in the freaking natty. You know, maybe we shouldn't do that again. Maybe Georgia is showing us signs of, you know, who knows what the committee's going to think. But I think it's an and or. I think there's one team out of the SEC that gets in. I'm going to go with Michigan. Uh, they got a big offensive line. Um, PFF rated them the number one offensive line of the country. I think Phil Steele did as well. Um, they got the quarterback back. Blake Corum's back. They're always solid defensively. They get Ohio State at home. I love that matchup for them. And then I'm going to go with J-Law as well and pick Clemson out of the ACC. I think the Big 12 gets snubbed this year. I think both Texas and Oklahoma drop, you know, two or three games apiece. And um, I like Clemson out of the ACC. They get Florida State and North Carolina at home. They're two toughest games on the schedule. This This road schedule, check out this slate, guys, for Clemson. Duke. Syracuse, Miami, NC State, South Carolina. The most losable game is South Carolina, who might be an eight and four team at best, maybe nine and three, since they play in the SEC East. So I think Clemson gets in in the ACC by default. Um, they'll have to play, I guess, North Carolina in their conference championship again, beat them twice. They're in. That's my final four Georgia or Alabama, Michigan, Oregon, Clemson. Lester, who you got? I have Michigan. I think they're going to win two in a row. Uh, that game's going to be at home. Um, uh, I'm going to lean Clemson with you guys. I think out west, Washington is going to be my team. Um, bringing back uh, Michael Penix, you know, the quarterback. I believe that the top two of their leading receivers from last year, they're going to come back. Um, and as far as my four, my SEC team, um, Georgia or LSU. Um yeah, jump ship now like me, Lester. So nobody can tell you that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I texted y'all earlier, like, why are we having such high expectations for this team? <laughs> why are we having high expectations for Alabama? But no, no, seriously, like if 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 this is gonna be the year for LSU with Jaden Daniels, um they're bringing back a good offensive team. Uh Harold Perkins is a monster, and as far as Georgia goes. Now, if LSU makes it to the SEC championship game, um, I, I, it's a toss-up. I mean, why aren't we talking about Georgia's quarterback problems? I mean, is Carson Beck going to be the real deal? Like, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. Y'all might know. I don't Well, that's that's because we've watched Georgia win with a completely average quarterback the last two years. Dude, and Alabama couldn't I, win I, with Bryce Young. I got to disagree with that. Uh, Stetson – he wasn't elite, but for a college quarterback in that system, what they needed him to do, every time that Joker threw the ball over 30 yards in the air, it was completed. Yeah. Alabama, yeah. Picked, yeah. Had, he had but, a couple of games against Bama where we picked him and picked six, and, you know, SC championship game. And then in 2020, you know, they, they he didn't have a good game. But, dude, he was he's, – I'm saying, like, he's, a, he's an average, talented quarterback, but the system was good enough for him right. to place, place him in there – and for it to happen, and Alabama's system wasn't good enough with Bryce Young to get it done, is all I'm saying. Yeah. So name your four again real quick. Uh, Clemson, Washington, uh, Michigan, and I said, I'll say LSU. I feel like I feel like Washington's a pick that everybody kind of sneaks in there for like the last three or four years. Washington's always like everybody's like watch out team. Right. Yeah. Well, there's only only two Pac-12 teams that have ever made the playoffs, and yep. Oregon and Washington. You can't trust USC for anything. You know, no. Washington. They have our they have our OC that we wanted. 
<laughs> you can't so, you can't play like USC like you're just not going to score 38 every game and they're going to have games where they give up 38 and they just can't get there on the scoreboard yeah and, and Lincoln Riley I think the same thing happens with him that it did at Oklahoma if he ever does make it to the playoff you know he had a shootout with Georgia but you know in in 2017 or in 2018 with Alabama they just dominated him from the start that game was 21 nothing in the first quarter so I think the same thing happens if he ever gets there with USC. He's trying to build the defense up, but you still see a lot of high-caliber players, defensive players out of the state of California making their way cross-country to play in the SEC. So, Chase, do you really think that if Alabama loses to Texas and, say, Tennessee again, and they, but they beat Georgia in Atlanta with two losses, they'll get in? See, I, I think that – the two laws, maybe maybe with an SEC championship ring, they could get in. I just think the second loss, there's going to be too many teams that win their conference with one loss that you just can't get in. That second loss is so big, and well, which is why I don't understand. Which is why I'm, I don't understand why we're playing Texas. Like, there's no reason for us sure. to play Texas. Yeah, there's no and, reason to there, to put those guys on the schedule. It doesn't help you. If there's an unranked Auburn loss at the end, then no. But who, if the loss comes at A and M, maybe. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, maybe not at home. They, they, you know, the committee hates you losing at home. But say you lose to A and M on the road, and you lose to Texas at home, you lose to the both te- to two Texas schools, but you beat top ten Tennessee, maybe top five LSU at home, maybe. Rank maybe Auburn's ranked like 24, 23, maybe. Maybe Hugh has a better year and you beat them on the road and then you beat number one Georgia. Then, yeah, I mean, I could see it. If you've got, you know, if you have a loss early in the season at home, maybe the quarterback situation wasn't figured out or maybe Milrow gets better. I don't know. I could, I could, it all depends on when the loss comes, but I could see Alabama making the playoff at 11 and two with an SEC championship win over the number one team in the country. Now, Georgia drops a game at Tennessee, and they're like second or third, and Alabama beats them, and Georgia ends up at 10-2 and two or 11-2. and two. No. But Georgia's number one, and Alabama's hanging right there at five or six, and they beat number one in the SEC championship game. Yeah, I think they, I think they can get a playoff spot. We'll see. I hope I hope we don't have to deal with that. Yep. Jalen, look, buddy, if you start, we're behind you. But just yeah, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna support. You gotta support them. Yeah. It's just you know, we just want a fair competition. That's that was like I said at the beginning, that was my only beef. But y'all have any final thoughts before we hop off here? Uh no, not really. It's really waiting to see. It's uh, just wait and see. Say Scary like, hours. Scary hours. No, I'm good. Uh, all right, we won't, we won't well, know anything for two weeks. Good luck to all the high school kids starting their um, seasons this week. Um, J-Law, can, you know, good luck to Silicaga, all the teams in my area, hopeful with Tumpka, Stanhope. Y'all go get it done. Lester, I guess you can be pulling for Hillcrest. No, you're in Birmingham. Dang, my bad. You got a bunch of schools you can go see. <laughs> no, I'm still repping the mopless. Yep, still repping the mop. But uh, you know, good luck to all the high school kids out there. Y'all get it done. Work hard. 
Um, till next week, to episode 86, Gunfunders Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. We're out of here. <laughs>